The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. This morning's scripture passage can be found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 26 through verse 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Good morning, Bethlehem. My name is Rene Gonzalez, and I'm, I have the joy of being one of the pastors here at Bethlehem, and um, it is a joy to be with you this morning. As, as Pastor Kenny mentioned uh, last week, in, this li- in these last eight weeks of 2023, we'll be focusing on our attention on the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. These two chapters narrate the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, the promised Messiah. And let me tell you, in redemptive history terms, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. Although, probably not everybody thinks that way. If you go to your phones after the service, not now, but, and you Google what are the most important events in human history, what, what, would, what do you get if you Google that? So according to Google, the 10 most important events of mankind are, first, the discovery of fire, second, the domestication of dogs, <laughs> third, the invention of the wheel, the creation of currency, invention of the alphabet, creation of religion. Advent of timekeeping, invention of the printing press, the Renaissance, and the Industrial Revolution. 
So there's no doubt that most of these events are of massive importance. And I'm sure some of you are wondering why Google doesn't like cats. (laughs) But I think this reveals something important about how humans perceive history. And I think we must align our perception of reality and history to redemptive history. In our text this morning, we will see how, after thousands of years of waiting, God reveals the identity of the long-expected Messiah. This is all part of God's redemptive plan, a plan that God had designed in eternity past. Now, in order to appreciate the significance of these events, Describing our passage today, it is important to, again, be able to see them within the larger picture of what we call redemptive history. And when I say that, when I say redemptive history, I refer to the reality that all of human history can and should be seen as God's unfolding story of redeeming sinners and restoring all things to Himself. Theologians have divided redemptive history in four main stages. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. All of history is truly the story of a triune God creating the universe out of nothing by the word of His power. Then He created men to His own image as male and female so that they will love and worship Him. But then the tragic moment of the fall happened. When Adam and Eve, our first human parents, rebelled against God by believing the lie that they could be like God. The sin brought a terrible curse over creation and over all mankind and brought physical and spiritual death to Adam and Eve and to all of their descendants after them. The Apostle Paul explains these moments in, in, in moment in the book of Romans when he said that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all men sinned. So from the very beginning of our history, we can see the devastating effects of sin in the world. Men lying to each other, broken relationships, hate, murder, wars, lust, rape, shame, sin corrupting everything and everyone, bringing misery and destruction, sickness and death, drought, earthquakes, flooding. Sin deceiving us to think that other things that other gods are better than the one true God. So in our text this morning, this text is the recounting, again, of the most significant, the most amazing event in the history of redemption. The incarnation of the Son of God. And this this is the story that counts. Angels long to see this stuff. You know this verse. 
concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, search and inquire carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. So if heaven had a newspaper, this is the headings. So what I'd like to focus our attention in our passage this morning is three things mainly. First, how this story shows us that God fulfilled His promise. Second, how this story shows us that the grace of God, how the grace of God is manifested in the way that these events happened. And third, how this story shows us the saving purposes of the coming Messiah. So promise, grace, and purpose. I want the three Ps, but didn't work out in the middle. <laughs> the first, the promise of the Messiah fulfilled. In our passage, we see in verse 26 that the, gospel, the, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to foretell the fulfillment of a promise that was made in the first chapters of Genesis. The promise that one day a descendant of Eve will crush the head of the serpent and end the tyranny of sin. This promised Savior then becomes the center point of all of redemptive history. And from then on, all the promises of God and all the symbols in the Old Testament all point to Him. Paul said, for all the promises, all the promises of God find their yes in Him. So in our text, we can see some of the promises that God is fulfilling in the birth of Jesus. First, Jesus is the promised son of Eve. In Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then this promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Galatians 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we may receive adoptions. As sons. Where all the other sons and daughters of Eve failed, Jesus had victory. Another promise. Jesus is the promise descendant from David and the true heir of his throne. That's on verse 26. This is First Chronicles 22. He shall... He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. And I will be his father. And I will establish his royal throne 
in Israel forever. And we know that in the immediate context of this prophecy, it referred to Solomon. But as we know now, like all the other kings of Israel, Solomon died. So what Gabriel is announcing is that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. He is the one who would take the throne of David forever. We see another promise fulfilled in verse 32 and 35. Jesus is the promised Son of God. I will tell you the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is Psalm 2-7. The text says, in verse 32, our text says, He will be called the Son of the Most High. And then again in verse 35, we read, Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He is the God-man, not only a son of Eve, but a hundred percent son of the Most High God. The Westminster Confession summarizes this glorious mystery this way. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being very and eternal, being the very and eternal God, of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature. With all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, Yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. The fourth promise we see in our text is Jesus is the promised king whose kingdom will never end. So God promised that one day his son will reign forever. We can read this in Isaiah 9-7, a passage we all know. Of the increase of His government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from, his, from this time forth and forevermore. The seal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And as we know now, kings came. And no king was able to fulfill the promise of this king forever, reigning forever. Only the one who would come from the line of David, only the one whose kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom, only Jesus fulfilled this promise. So, all these years 
all these lost hopes, the people of God, as we heard this morning, going through slavery and idolatry, all these weakened kings, all the poverty and hopelessness, all of that waiting. It's over. Jesus is here. That's what Gabriel is saying to us. Jesus is finally here. God fulfilled his promise in Jesus Christ. Number two, the, God, the grace of God manifested. So I think our story highlights also God's free and undeserved grace given to Mary and to all the world in the gift of the Son. I see we can see these in our passage by the contrast between the announcement of the birth of John that we heard last week and the announcement of the birth of, Je- of, the birth of Jesus that we're looking at right now. In the case of the announcement of John the Baptist, it takes place in the religious center of Judea, in the temple, in a very public way. And he's announced to a man who was known and respected in the Jewish community there. And what a contrast it is that the announcement of the birth of Jesus occurs in a town, in the town of Nazareth. A very small town in Galilee. Some people estimate maybe 300 people, 300 inhabitants. A place without major significance in the region in a very private way. And this is announced to a young woman that probably had the most common name of that time. So it is clear that the fact that God would choose this young woman to be the mother of the Lord Jesus is to show that this is a sovereign act of free and undeserved grace. And this also, it is also confirmed by the use of the word grace three times in our passage. And this word is always flowing from God to Mary. We can see that in verse 28 in the greeting, and then again in verse 30. So although it is clear in the context that Mary is a godly and humble young woman, nothing in her is good enough or holy enough to deserve such a gift. Jesus, Jesus is the greatest treasure of heaven. He's the Son. The one who is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. The one through whom all things were created. Things on earth and in heaven. Things visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. 
No one is worthy enough for the gift of the Son. He is before all things and sustains all things, who is the head of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is the preeminent one, the one in whom all the fullness of God dwells. So it is mind-blowing. God so loved Mary that He gave her, His only Son. And brothers and sisters, God so loved you and me that in His sovereign grace, He has given you His Son. And that is more than enough for us. For to us, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This brought so much conviction to my heart as, as we approached Thanksgiving week. And, and I don't know what kind of year this has been to you. Perhaps you're sitting here thinking about next week and you're struggling to find things in your heart and in your mind that deserve celebrating and giving thanks. Perhaps this is one of those years for you when loss or sickness or problems or broken relationships or finances make it really hard for you to have a thankful heart. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit might use this text, this story to remind you that if you are in Christ, you have received the greatest gift in the universe. God gave you His Son. And the fact that you did not deserve it makes it even sweeter. Let me tell you a story. I... I worked for, for United Airlines uh, may, a couple of years ago, many years ago. And one of the benefits we had as employees was that when we flew, if there were seats available, we could fly first class. So, as a standby flyer, uh, I would come to the gate when everyone has boarded, and then sometimes the angel, the agent, not the angel, but the agent... Yeah, will tell me, guess what? We have some extra seats in first class. Would you want to take one? And I would say, sure, absolutely. So now here I am, sitting next to a person who has paid thousands of dollars for that seat. And I'm enjoying all the same benefits. It's almost unfair. Now, sometimes a flight attendant would come to me during the flight and say, Excuse me, sir, but it seems that we've run out of salmon. Would it be okay if we serve you the filet mignon? <laughs> to which I would politely say, Oh, it's fine, no problem. 
While in my mind, I'm saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> Filet mignon? I should be sitting eating crackers and pretzels with the rest of the common mortals back there. Because I, I don't deserve to be there. I, I didn't pay for it. I'm not supposed to be there. I should not be given this gift, this delicious food. So my prayer is that as you approach Thanksgiving week, you think about the different things that God has given you and maybe the things that He has decided not to give you. I pray that you would be reminded that He gave you the greatest gift of all. He gave you His Son. In Bethlehem, we know this verse. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how, he, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? This story is a reminder that the gift of the Son is for people that do not deserve it. And that we should, and that that should help us worship and be thankful people. Amen? Amen. Third, the purpose of God revealed. Verse 31 says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. So in this verse we see that not only the angel announces the character and identity of the son to be born, but also Gabriel, sent from God, provides the name of the son. This is not Mary's to decide or Joseph's to decide. This is God. And he says, you shall call him Jesus. Jesus, as you know, is an English rendering of the Greek name Jesus, which comes from the Hebrew Yeshua. And it means Yahweh saves And in the parallel passage in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that the angel explains the name. In Matthew 1.21, we read, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So not only in this text we see God fulfilling His promise, not only we see God's grace revealed and shown to Mary and to us, but also in the name of Jesus we see God's glorious purpose for sending His Son to us. He sent His Son to us so He could save us. Joshua was a common name in that time. So from one angle, 
just another Joshua. Maybe some of you know this, but Jesus in Spanish is a pretty common name, too. I know it's not common in America, but it is common down there. But yet, in another sense, he was, he was the true Joshua. The one who would live up to the meaning of his name in ways that no one else could do. The name of Jesus is important because of its meaning and because of, of whom it represents. There's power and authority in the person of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the person is designated by the name more so that than with other names, we associate the name of Jesus with his distinctive character, his quality and work. The name of Jesus communicates, communicates that he is the salvation of God to us. The Bible says Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become their cornerstone. And this text says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus communicates the Willingness, the desire of God to forgive sins. Forgiveness of sins is received through the name of Jesus. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In every way, Jesus lives up to his name. The name of Jesus reminds us of the power and the grace and the presence and the purpose of the risen Christ. It assures, it, it assures us God's gracious intention to save us. Our Lord Jesus brought God to humanity and now brings humans to God through the salvation that he purchased. So in our story, after thousands of years, redemptive history come to its climax. The Son of God is here. Hope has a name, and His name is Jesus. Through His life and death and resurrection, He will defeat sin and death and bring Many sons to glory. Jesus is the one who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him 
the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. In the, in the Bible, when people spoke or act in the name of Jesus, they did so as the Lord's representatives with His authority. The very life of the believer is to be lived in the name of Jesus. And by doing so, bring glory to God. Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians, We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me conclude now in saying, This story shows us that God fulfilled His promise by sending His beloved Son to us, to this world, in the appointed time. Second, this story shows us how the grace of God is manifested in the undeserved gift of His own Son to Mary and to all of us. And third, this story shows us the saving purpose of the coming Messiah. He has come to save us from our sin. So how do we respond I would say, let's respond in trust. He is the God whose promises always come true. You can trust that He who began the good work in you will bring it into completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Second, let's respond in gratitude. Gratitude. We can thank and worship God for His gift of grace in Jesus and I hope that's encouraging for you as you, as you enter this Thanksgiving week, even, even when things are difficult. And third, let's respond in faith. God sent His only Son so that your sins might be forgiven. So if your sins have not been forgiven yet, I invite you to come to Him in faith and find eternal life and joy in Him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for taking the form of man. We thank you, God, for sending your Son. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your miraculous work. We thank you, our God, this morning, that you... In your grace, have sent your Son to save us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. 
Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.